When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Sonic Speaks. Hi there and welcome to Sonic Speaks Season 6, Episode 5. This outing has Lothar Tuppen and myself driving about the greater Halifax area talking about his work and upcoming stuff from Ninth Tower Productions. Warning, some of the quality in the car isn't as good as it should be, but you can only do what you can do. Now on with the interview. And we are in Sonic Speaks Mobile. (laughs) And I'm here, Jack Ward, of course, with my guest, my esteemed guest, Lothar Tuppen. I'm trapped in the car. Somebody help me. (laughs) That's right. I just figured it'd be kind of fun to be able to go for a drive and do a recording at the same time. It'd be different because, as I was saying to Lothar, maybe you could fake... Uh, studio one that you know Lothar isn't truly here but he is yes I am here he's driving me around Halifax Nova Scotia are we in Windsor now we're actually in Sackville right Sackville now. Okay. Just where I uh, actually is my job is my, my high school's up here oh okay so we were visiting a friend but you had mentioned that we had done an interview years ago years ago with Bill which yep. I had forgotten but I've done so many interviews here at the time I know I've I've had interviews with Bill in the past, but I forgot that I had one with you and him. It was pretty early on when you were first doing Sonic Speaks. So it was real early when you first had that idea, when you first came back to the the podcast and you had all those great ideas and you were rolling with it. We were were in that first season. First season of Sonic Sonic Speaks. Speaks. And were you and Bill fairly new at working together at that point or had you been working on so this is sort of the Crimson Tatters yeah I had worked with Bill doing a lot of acting in his stuff and we had talked a lot on audio drama talk and then talked on the phone and then when I was sort of in between production houses he's like you gotta do stuff for Broken Sea and (laughs) that by the way is my school oh very cool right here we just came right Right on in front of it (laughs) Bill first had me do the Planet of the Apes UK stage show right so he was sort of the if I'm using a, a, a movie metaphor he was the producer signed it up got the rights got all the actors and thing and everything and I directed it and finished it up and so did that and then had just done I think a few episodes of sort of the Crimson Tatters and then uh, that was when you interviewed us right right and I just for memory's sake there's six isn't there there's five episodes five episodes five episodes because it's been a while since I've listened to it again what got you the idea of the sort of the Crimson Tatters which is a fantastic fantasy series if you're interested by all means go and check them out they're on our earliest episodes of Wednesday Wonders which Lothar is the host of course in Mutual Audio Network as well as on Broken Sea I had two seeds that were wanting to be done one I wanted to do a show that I would build around Bill and I basically being 
buddies together, like almost like a buddy cop sort of sort of thing, right? You know, and I built things around that. But basically, I just wanted to make a sandbox that I could invite my friend over to play. Bring your action figures. I'll bring my action figures. We'll play together. It was really that kind of wanting to just have a good time. And then around the same time, I was having a lot of dissatisfaction with fantasy novels, especially. Um, and the fact that there isn't a lot of fantasy in audio drama. There's a little no. bit more now, but really a lot of it's very comedy-oriented. Yes. Or tongue-in-cheek or meta of, like, gamers that are thrust into their game world, that sort of thing. And... Yeah, there's not a lot of serious sword and sorcery no, style. definitely not. And I was dissatisfied as a audience member of fantasy with the... 10 book series, each one's over a thousand pages. Yes. Halfway through, you're not really sure where it's going. I know that a lot of people love that. It's not my jam. Right. And the other thing that was frustrating me was historically, it wouldn't make sense for modern progressive ideas, politics, ethos to be thrust back into a dark ages or even medieval setting. I understand why that's going on, but sometimes it's so heavy handed that it just breaks down for me. I want something a little bit grittier, a little bit like, yeah, I don't want to necessarily live in this world, but I like to read the stories about it or experience the stories about it. So I wanted to make something that's a little darker, something a little bit more sword and sorcery versus high fantasy. Right. Something that would be more in the vein of Robert E. Howard or Clark Ashton Smith. Right. And also I wanted to play around with uh, not taking the zero to hero arc, right? but saying here are people who are already very competent at what they do thrust into a new situation that is the new challenge. Not that they're, you know, farmer kids that are 12 and suddenly they become the, the glorious heroes of the realm. Um, that's been done to death. Other people can do that much better than I can. Nice. No, I and I think we've all bonded, you, me, and Bill, over Robert E. Howard. Yep. That I grew up, and I would say that was my first love of fantasy, too, was the, those books yeah. and, and the, the original Conan stories. It's interesting how other people took them over, but they never were quite nearly as well done as, as nope. the original Robert E. Howard stories. Yep. By the way, that's where we scattered Bill's ashes. That's right. And went Robert E. Howard's face to face at his actual home. So Bill must have really dug. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. What you were doing mm -hmm. with sort of the Crimson Tatters. What I found unusual though is that you made it sound like this was going to be book one of multiple yes. books. And it was. It was going to be until Bill died. And because of that initial impetus that I created this to do something with Bill and then other people. Right. And the fact that I wrote the character of Lorak specifically for Bill as an actor and as a person, it was something that I thought um, he could really get his teeth into. Um, I think he was an underappreciated actor at that time, especially. Absolutely. Um, and he was always very, you know, modest and very self-deprecating. And I'm like, no, you're actually a great actor, and I want to give you something to where I can give you some parts that would, or some aspects that would really shine. And good on you for getting it out of him, because he's yeah. the kind of person who would shy away from any of that. He wanted to be, you know, number three, get shot in the face or something. At the end, and that would be it. But so good for you to be able to do I'm, that with him. I'm really proud that there's a in the fourth of the five episodes there's a very quiet scene where he's talking to a character played by my stepdaughter Danica who's also a trained actress and it's a very emotional scene very intimate scene with the two of them having a conversation and most people think it really sounds like they were in the same place acting off of each other not only were they half a continent apart they were about four months apart in recording wow and so, yes, I'm, I'm proud that I was able to mix it together in post and our satellite recording and then make it work well. But basically, both of them 
made the acting to where it worked really well. At least I'm very happy with it. Most people seem to be oh, surprised when I tell them. I'm surprised were. because it is golden age modern audio drama, which means we were missing a lot of key things in production that we would would take for granted yep. now. Right. Yep. So we were working as we as Bones McCoy would say, as stone knives and bearskins yep. is comparatively at the time. So how did you meet Bill in the first place and get involved in Broken Sea? Audio Drama Talk. Um, I was a fan and uh, just started posting there. And, you know, Bill was always very excited and, you know, very welcoming to the whole community. And so it was very easy to keep the conversation up that way. And it was actually listening to um, the Jake Sampson um, Gods of War right. uh, arc because it has Robert E. Howard as a character. In yeah, it's one of my favorite Jake Sampsons. Yeah. It was, not only was it just a great story, but... As someone who has always been a, a fan of Robert E. Howard and a, a sort of not a, a main member of what they call the Shield Wall, the people that tried to protect his reputation and not make it seem like he was some crazy mama's boy who shot, who shot himself when he was 30, right. but yeah, that there's more complexity to him than that. The empathy that Bill showed uh, to Howard, the understanding and not. He didn't go schmaltzy with it. He didn't, right. It was just, it was brilliantly respectful and wonderful. And I went, this guy gets it. Right. So I saw something in Bill that he would be, you know, if he was here now, his face would be turning red and he'd be like, oh, shucks, stop talking about that. Yeah. Um, but no, I was like, this is a guy who gets it. This is a guy, I respect him as a person as well as I like his stuff. And then at some point it was like, hey, you want to talk after, you know, work sometime? Yeah, here's your number, here's mine. And then all of a sudden it went from talking once a week to pretty much every other day or sometimes every day. Right. And that lasted, you know, for the rest of his life. Right. That's good. And so you were sort of officially, unofficially part of Broken Sea yeah. after that? Mm-hmm. I, I worked on a lot of things and was brought in. I was never one of the, you know, what they would call the principal members of right. the board or whatever like that. The high council. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes. exactly. Um, yeah, I never got to wear the gray robes and have my face <laughs> shaded, you know, in, in shadow. But, um, yeah, everybody was cool. But were you yeah. in sounding board is the real question. I, I was finally in sounding board at the end. <laughs> at the end. I, I, was, uh, I, I wasn't I was as an actor, but right. I was one of the... Um, uh, they were doing... Unfortunately, it didn't get finished because of Bill's death. Right. But the first part was a Apocalypse Now ripoff. Right. And um, I was it was me, Stevie K. Farnaby, and uh, Bill doing the mixing. So we nice. broke up the scenes amongst us. We worked it all out together. And so it was fun to be a part of that, even if it was uh, behind the camera or behind the microphone instead of in front of the microphone. Wow. Did you have other things you wanted to do with Broken Sea of your own? Like things yes. that you wanted to write that there, you didn't um, get to? There are a number of things that are still in various stages that I would have originally done through Broken Sea. I was very happy working with them. Um, they left me alone, and basically if I did something of quality, it's like, yeah, just put it out as long as it sounds good. And the reason why I liked working with Broken Sea and with Bill is that their aesthetic of very rich soundscapes, using the sound itself as driving the story, having highly stylized sound as part of the experience, um, was very much what I liked, and it was very much them. So it wasn't. It was like we parked our cars in the same garage that for way. Sure, for sure. Yeah, Broken Sea definitively had its yep. own sound yep. compared to anybody else yep. at the time. I can't think of anybody else. Um, even even when you look at the mix, people like um, Leviathan or We're oh, yeah. Alive, mm-hmm. um, they, they, they had that a richer sound. But it yep. was it was not Broken Sea. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just that much different, right? There here. was. There was a different, there was like this rich production in a lot of different companies, but Broken Sea would use something to where 
they may not use this language because they don't get as theoretical as I do in some weird geeky stuff, but they use the semiotics of sound. Right. They use high stylized stuff as part of the story to where I think other places go, here's the script, here's the acting, now let's make it clean and crisp and professional where they're taking a little bit more of like that auteur, I want the camera to be a character, I want the microphone to be a character, right. I want the soundscape itself to be telling the story in addition to the script, in addition to all the other things, and that's that I really appreciated. I, I, the first time I got that was in a Jake Sampson story, and I don't remember which one, but it was like 20 seconds of walking up the steps and opening up a metal uh, 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 mailbox yes, and, right, and yeah. knocking on the door, and there was like no dialogue whatsoever, yep. it was just like getting you right into the world, right? And yep. that was... That was like the I knew we were in a Bill Hallwig production yep. of, of that for yep. that reason. So so many of those things are now cast to the wind, I guess. Or what are you? Well, planning uh, to the one thing I say about uh, sort of the Crimson Tatters, I do have plans on doing it as prose fiction. Okay. I want to finish it up as prose fiction, which kind of leads to where I was originally going. I was originally going to do probably three to five story arcs in audio, and then the very last thing, which would be the next generation would have been a long sort of almost like a prose poem or maybe a, a poem more in the um, alliterative Anglo-Saxon meter right. telling that last bit. Gotcha. So I was always planning on the last bit being prose anyway, being multimedia that way. Sure. Now I'm thinking of um, turning it all into um, either one large novel or various books. I'm not sure how it'll how the physical form will be, but it'll be prose, and I will finish the story. That's wonderful to hear. That's fantastic. Because you do prose as well, for those people who don't know. Do you want to speak a little bit about that? You've been working a lot with Mark Slate, for example, and John C. Hallworth. Yeah. Um, Mark Slate and I first uh, got together because uh, Tonya Milojevic um, introduced me because she had done a lot of acting in Mark Slate's uh, Blood Noir stuff. And she said, oh, you should use it. Lothar is a great actor. He loves horror. And then Mark and I hit it off. We did a... um, we co-wrote a audio drama series called Daniel Dread. That's a six-part standalone series. Um, and then a little while, right right around the time of the pandemic, he goes, "Yeah, me and Chauncey, who he had told me about Chauncey, but I didn't know him. He goes, we want to start a um, a pulp magazine. Are you, do you have anything to submit to it? And we're going to call it Twisted Pulp Magazine." I said, "Yeah, I got some stories I can you know clean up and you know do another you know re- revision of and send off." And then he's like, "Yeah, we're trying to do this and that." And I. Some people would say stupidly, I would say uh, serendipitously, said, you know, I used to be a proofreader and an editor. If you'd like me to do some of that, I could help you out. Next thing I know, this thing that was maybe going to be a quarterly thing ended up being a monthly magazine oh, goodness. with a whole lot of responsibility. We just, uh, I just finished editing before coming out to Nova Scotia, our 16th uh, issue. Wow. Um, I'll have to get started on the 17th issue when we get back. Um, and we started Screaming Eye Press. This is why you don't have much time to do audio drama. Like right, this. exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I'm going to clear some stuff off my plate that way. We just uh, sure. so Screaming Eye Press. We put out a comic book called Screaming Eye Presents. So I got to see an old comic script of mine oh, wow. uh, actually come to manifestation. So that's another great dream. That's I think. Crazy. I think now that I'm in my early to mid 50s, I'm uh, trying to finish off all those failed dreams that I had in my 20s and 30s, and I say that. I can actually get them done. Yep. And so comic book script. Okay. Good. Tick. Done, done that. Yeah. Um, short stories published. Tick. Done that. Um, you know, we just put out two volumes of stories uh, inspired by Jim Thompson, 
who um, probably maybe his most famous movie is The Grifters. Right. But he wrote a lot of novels. Um, it's a great sort of late noir and then into neo-noir period. Sure. And very dark stories. So we did uh, two volumes of Born Under a Bad Sign. Right. Which are collections of uh, short stories. I edited those and contributed stories to both uh, to both volumes. Right. Um, we're working on a book uh, with through another publisher right now that's actually an, more of an academic publisher on uh, nonfiction interviewing uh, Marvel creators in the 70s for the Bronze Age and we're nice. about two-thirds of the way through our interviews and then we will see what narrative arises from those interviews and weave it together Wonderful. and um, we might do one afterwards on independent creators that at that time fantastic. period in the early independent age um, you get a hold of Rob Patterson and get interviewed about that stuff, oh, yeah. right? You've already been interviewed by yeah. him before, but yeah. that would be another thing that he would love to talk to you about Absolutely. in the Department of Nerdly yeah. Affairs. So I, I just wanted to bring in, because we talked a little bit about we could be talking forever because you and I enjoy that, um, <laughs> but there is, there is a, I don't want to say a theme because it's the wrong word for it, but there's certainly a feeling of appreciate within your stories appreciation of darkness and appreciation of the weird and yes. when we talk about the weird we're talking maybe you should define that for people sure um i like to define it as well kind of in the way of weird fiction uh different people have different definitions i don't have a probably a, a set definition but something to where in in the scottish term weird which is related to the Anglo-Saxon, but not exactly the same, it's what is absolutely real. So that seems kind of strange when we're talking about supernatural stuff. But uh, something in, that I, I, I actually sort of explicated this in one of the stories that I have in Twisted Pulp, to where when something really weird happens to you, something potentially supernatural, something potentially numinous, when it's happening to you at the time, before your rational mind can go, oh, maybe I was hallucinating, maybe that wasn't real, maybe I had too much beef brisket, whatever the hell I have rationalization I want to create, nothing is more important to you. It feels like fight or flight. Right. There is something going on that you need to respond to. It's almost like the super real. Yes, yeah. exactly. The hyper real. Hyper real. Yeah, exactly. Almost like the surreal if you want to take the yes. literal meaning of, of what that prefix is. Right. Um, so yeah, there's always, there's always a some sort of wonder going on and for sometimes I've, I've always been a big fan of horror and dark stories and things like that not because I like the dark and depressing stuff but because sometimes fear in a story bypasses that rationality and both you as an audience member and as a creator can get into that sense of wonder easier because the fear cuts through the rationalization yeah no and you see that in Daniel Dredd mm -hmm. you see that in sort of Crimson Tatters you see that in some of the fiction that you've written, yeah. and uh, so I had to bring that up because it's such a, a pervasive part of the stuff that you're trying to bring out in, in the world. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate it, but again, I think, I don't know if, like, Robert E. Howard knew that very well, outside of the Conan stories as well, yeah. many of his horror stories in the same way, and and, and so it's, it's interesting. Now, you do have a series that you're doing for um, uh, Mutual, yep. and it, I should say not Mutual, but your company, Ninth Gate Productions. Ninth Tower. Ninth, sorry, Ninth but, Tower. But the Ninth Gate is yeah. an awesome film, yes, so if you're going to confuse it, that's a great one. I knew it was Ninth Tower. It's just the end of the day. Apologize. I terribly, because I do know it's Ninth Tower Productions. I um, 
and it's called the Degassian. And you, we started recording it, yep. and I feel very grateful that you've asked me and Brother Jeff yep. Billard to I, be I, again, wrote those parts specifically for you two, the same way I wrote the other one for Bill. Right. And uh, I'm, I have a, a lot of fun with it. But it got stopped yep. at one point. Do you want to talk yeah. about that? Or uh, the Degassian is going to be an exploration of hope versus despair, um, nihilism versus idealism, and explore some aspects of Germanic spirituality, which is near and dear to my heart. Um, and it's nested stories within stories. I have it planned out for, I think, 52 episodes is, is what my notes say. And I was, I think I had three episodes finished and scripted maybe four or five when the pandemic happened. And all, a lot of other things were going on in the world. The, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, social, the social body politic was breaking up everywhere. Um, and I'm not sure if where I was going to go with it felt real anymore. It didn't feel true. It, and I think it's taken me this much time and also some, you know, exploration of where I am with a lot of the things in my personal life and my personal practices and how I want to express this. And now I feel like I can start it again. I was just telling Jack um, a couple days ago that uh, woke up and went, yeah, I can keep writing now. Now I know what I'm going to do. That's fantastic. So that's great. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to continue with that. And I'm going to write all the scripts first, make sure everything goes in, and then I'll go into production. So hopefully I'll be alive long enough to get that done. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Me too. Uh, do you know how many scripts vaguely you want to do? 52, 52 total. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I think there's going to be each episode. I think it's going to be three seasons, or let's call them books, because I'm not going to sure. take a big break in between. Yeah. But three arcs. Nice. And each one will be about 17 episodes. That's amazing. That's that's fantastic. This is another thing that I'll, I'll put out there uh, publicly, is that Jack loves the um, hero's journey, the monomyth of uh, Joseph Campbell, and I do not, and I have some problems with Joseph Campbell, and Jack and I have lovely, uh, friendly debates about this all the time, and so this is also an exercise for me of, I'm specifically choosing to follow the hero's journey. Oh, really? And see what, that's why it's 17 episodes each. Each one's going to be about one of the 17 stages. One of the stages. Okay, cool. And I'm going to try and do it and see, like, can I... Can I reclaim some of that for me? I still won't think of him as a better mythologist, but maybe no. I won't have quite the burning hatred that I do currently. Well, and, and you know, to be fair, there have been really successful versions of the hero's journey in, in film and such, Star Wars being one of them, yep. um, and there have been dismal failures. Yep. <laughs> so so it, could, it could go either way, and that's kind of exciting. Yeah. To, to consider how that might operate. I don't think that's very ambitious. I don't think I could do that, and I'm a fan of it. But <laughs> I also uh, sort of, I, I, you, you know that I, I boil down many of the stages into... Uh, yeah, you have a five-stage. I have a five-stage. Which, there's one point where I'm, t- where I'm like poking at Jack and going, you've discarded over two-thirds of it. You don't like it either. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to make it simpler for my students to teach them mm-hmm. it too as well. But right. you're right. It, there's There are aspects of it that I, I struggle with as well because it, it can be very limiting if you follow yeah. the 17 But where stages. I do think it applies right and where I think a lot of uh, scriptwriters get it wrong is it is not applicable to every single story, what it is good for is initiatory stories. Yes, that makes sense. Where you're separated from the world, something transforms you. Right. Then you get re-included back into the world and you bring something back for the people. 
you know, and that's that classic initiatory structure, and the Degasian is very much an initiatory story for most of the characters, especially that first character. So if I was trying to tell a slice of life, no, it wouldn't work too well. For sure. But I'm leaning into where I think it works well from a mythological and... Um, it's the yeah. more popular version of adventure sto story, hero storytelling yeah. mm -hmm. now. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the only way. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's the only way you'll find that. That's where I agree with you. You know, I'm thinking about it. There's so many other cultural ways of doing it. You can't boil down this, the hero's journey in Japanese mythos the same way. Right. And there's various different myths mm -hmm. that are that are, are separate from it. But mm -hmm. uh, just to say I am, as you know, absolutely thrilled that we can continue on that journey at some point. Yep. It's going to take a while, obviously, though. If, yeah. If you want to write all the scripts. Yeah. How fast a writer are you? Um... So, like, next week, sometime we can start recording? Yeah, I'm not... Mark, Mark Slade is super fast. I am yeah. slow as molasses compared to him. Sure. Um, I'm hoping to get at least to a month done. Nice. That's great. Maybe I could get more done if I get into a rhythm and just keep turning it out, at least a first draft, and then sure. revise. We'll see. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we're at the end of our voyage. I, right on. I would love to be able to talk longer, but I know you have a phone call to, to catch up on. Yep. And uh, luckily, this is not the end of our conversations no. for your visit. And, You're and here for we a couple should, more um, days. Yeah, and um, you know, when you get, uh, I know we've all been really busy, and you've been especially you know busy with juggling many things in your life. <laughs> um, Sonic Echo. We need to get back to Sonic Echo. Desperately, yeah. I desperately want to. We, we got to finish up Noir. Yeah, because and, we can't escape the past, and our past is Sonic Echo. <laughs> That's right. And I've, I, th it's my, I've given you guys the next one, right? Uh, actually, we're doing. Um, Jeff brought one, and we stopped it. It was Maltese Falcon. And then oh. you brought another one after that. So we oh, got Maltese Falcon to do. It is Jeff's first. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then and then the one that you had after, which I can't remember off the top of my head. But Me yeah, neither. we've got we've but got I've two got lined it. up at least, and then we'll definitely have more. For sure. So awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for being a part of Sonic Speaks. <laughs> uh, the the I forget what I called at the very beginning, but it's it's the mobile. The yes. Sonic Speaks mobile yes. version. That's right. <laughs> and we'll talk That's soon. That's right. We're in the field. <laughs> listening to Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network, we invite you to continue the amazing audio tomorrow on Mutual with the Monday Matinee. Our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio dramas. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed every day for the world's largest curated collection of audio drama, or find the Monday Matinee feed in your favorite podcast players. See you tomorrow at the Matinee, and thanks so much for listening. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.